0: This is Dirt Cheap from Neon Hum. I'm Jeffrey Golden.
1: And I'm Amanda Meadows.
0: And we are here reading the book Murder in the Glass Room by Edwin Rolfe and Lester Fuller. So we are coming up to chapter five. Amanda, do you remember where we left things at chapter four of Murder in the Glass Room?
1: Well, uh, from what I remember, Phil Norris... His wife, Edna, she dead. Phil is obviously the number one suspect.
0: Yeah, or will be. Will be.
1: So Phil is determined to, uh, instead of like helping the cops, he has Edna's address book and is going to go on like a choose-your-own-adventure through her address book. Right,
0: he's going to go through her day Tomorrow as if she were alive.
1: Yes. And uh, he's just, you know, cosplaying as his wife without actually <laughs> dressing cool. as her. Or maybe he did and we don't know. Mm. That that would be fascinating. But, yeah, he, he went to the first stop and it turned out to be a hairdresser. And that was an embarrassing e- encounter. <laughs>
0: right. Uh,
1: and now I guess he's on the next hit.
0: He's on the next hit. All right. Well. Where
1: to next, uh,
0: Phil? Well. He tells us right away.
1: <laughs> Great.
0: Um, the first sentence in Chapter 5 is just one word, and I'll, mm-hmm. we'll dive into it right now. Stanley. It was 10.20, and Edna's appointment with the professor was for 11.00. What his first name was, I didn't know, nor did I have any notion about the location of his office or if Edna's appointment was at his office and not at some other. The phone book listed 22 Stanleys, butchers and laundrymen and housewives. I discarded all but four of them. Two of the four were listed as MDs, two others as just plain doctors. I wrote down the four names, addresses, and telephone numbers in the back of an old letter and then played eeny, meeny, miny, moe for the first call. <laughs> Hooray, another childish game for Phil Norris. First we had the carpet game. The floor is lava carpet game.
1: Right, with the, with the lines or the seams in the carpet. Now I we've mean, got
0: some eeny, meeny, miny, moe action.
1: These are classic detective
0: tactics. Absolutely. <laughs> it was a bust. Dr. C.T. Stanley turned out to be a Chinese herb specialist. On the third nickel, I hit the jackpot. A woman answered the phone by saying, Professor Stanley, and I knew at once that this was it. I hung up and checked the address, 265 North Spring Street. A few minutes before 11, I walked into the lobby of an ancient decay smelling office building. It was one of those buildings that should have been torn down long ago And it probably would have been if the war hadn't come along. I discovered that Stanley occupied several rooms on the fifth floor. Room 523 belonged to plain Dr. George F.O. Stanley. Room 524 housed Stanley's Economic Reports. And 525 was listed as Professor G.F.O. Stanley, Economic Consultant. It's interesting that he has so many offices. It's usually where, like, Phil Norris is the Trump maybe Professor Stanley is the Trump <laughs> Professor <laughs>
1: Stanley is Trump's doctor
0: yeah right. yeah you know, doctor right. just
1: has like a random office in a business building with Dr lie guy <laughs> right
0: there was no elevator only steep flights of worn stone stairs reaching to the upper stories although the California Sun was shining fiercely the building's interior was dim and dank. The stairs were poorly lit by tiny wire cage electric bulbs, too few and too far between. The glow of a strong electric light shone through the glass window of room 524, silhouetting lettering in gold. It said, Stanley's economic reports, analysis of business trends. I turned the knob and walked in. The reason for the extravagant use of the power company's juice was that the office had no outlet to the street. A pale young woman looked at me through rimless, octagonal-shaped glasses and said, "'Good morning.' "'Good morning,' I answered. "'Is Professor Stanley in?' "'No, he isn't,' she said very sweetly. "'Can I help you?' "'Maybe,' I said, walking closer to her desk and looking over the place. "'Did you have an appointment?' she asked. "'Not exactly,' I told her. "'Will he be here later?' "'No, not today.' Something was fishy." So I read a book in high school. It was, uh, speaking of like weird old books, uh, it was Bill Maher's fiction novel.
1: Oh, my God. I
0: think it was called True Life or True Story, something like that.
1: Ew. About
0: stand-up comedy. Oh. And about like stand-up comedy from the 80s, basically. Gotcha. Now I wouldn't touch that book with a 10-foot pole. But back then- I read every book by every comedian. Right. (laughs) If a comedian released a book, it was on my bookshelf the next day. But anyway, in Bill Maher's book, he's like, there's a point when you're a new comedian where everything is a potential joke. And you're constantly pitching jokes and writing things down because everything is so new and you know you you want to apply that lens that joke lens to everything and i feel like that maybe that's what's happening with Phil Norris where he's like he's a new detective and so he's like oh everything's a clue like everything's a mystery yeah that,
1: that is like a learning phenomenon like when you learn like I think that's why the sophomore year is called the sophomore year wise fools because like you've gotten through the first year so you kind of feel like you know what you're doing and you don't uh, uh,
0: that's oh I did not know <laughs> yeah, that yeah sophomore
1: I think means wise fool oh shit. Uh, but uh, you learn one thing and you're like oh everything's this now <laughs> uh, and like as <laughs> as we've seen in the last few years of people learning basic terms about race theory, yeah, capitalism, yeah, like,
0: people are like, like basic history. Like I'm in the Matrix now on racism. I'm solving it. I'm putting the pieces together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it. You're 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 not doing it. These are problems that have been in this country for hundreds of years. But you know, thanks for thanks for joining the party. I suppose. <laughs> Better better. this, you know?
1: Yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Right. Angry shrugs. But, like, yeah, you think everything is a thing when you first learn the thing. Right.
0: Stanley had to be here, or he had to have some damned good reason for not being here, such as knowing that Edna was not going to show up, knowing that she could not possibly show up unless the appointment was someplace else. Is there any place I can reach him? I asked. No, she said. I'm afraid not. I must have stood there with a funny expression on my face because the pale young woman began to try to get rid of me. Do you want to leave a message for the professor? She asked. I hesitated, so she tried again. Does the professor know you? I wanted to say, we've met, but immediately saw my chance to keep the ball rolling. I said... Of course. Very well. Did we mention that we had had a cat named Stanley? Yeah, I was
1: just about to say like, when you said Professor Stanley, I thought you were joking. Like I was like, oh, is this a little, is this a thing that you're doing to throw me off?
0: Our cat, we called him Professor Stanley. Professor Stanley was like a scientist and he, but what branch of science he practiced was sort of unclear. And he also believed that many of the sciences could be attributed to the cat gods. So I don't know if his science was very sound, but he was a lovely, a lovely, very furry Siberian boy.
1: Yeah, Dr. Professor Stanley the Cat, <laughs> MD.
0: <laughs> so good. I haven't seen you here before, Mr. Johnson, I said quickly. No, I haven't been here before. He's been giving me business advice. She smiled at me and turned to her typewriter, as good as telling me the interview was over. I twirled my hat around in my hands and fidgeted with my feet, trying to delay my exit, trying hard to think up something to say. Her typewriter was already clicking when I took a long chance, a stab in the dark. I've often wanted to visit the professor here, I said. She stopped typing and looked up. I'm sorry, she said. I didn't hear what you said. I repeated it and added, I've been very interested in his other work, too. What other work? Oh, you know. A man of his achievements and his brilliance? Naturally, he has many interests. He's a wonderful person, don't you think, Mr. Johnson? One in a million, I said, and so understanding. She looked reverent. It's too bad he isn't here, miss. Mrs., she corrected me, Mrs. Wentz. I'm very happy to make your acquaintance, Mrs. Wentz. I bowed slightly, the way you do in society movies. She giggled, and the color rose to her cheeks. I tried to read the circulars upside down, but they were in small print, so I casually edged around the side of her desk. Oh, uh, he's edging.
1: <laughs> he's edging. Phil is <Villa's>
0: edging. Bam.
1: <laughs>
0: um, what a creepy thing to do. To be like, to immediately be like, oh, we're having a conversation. Why don't I just get super close to you? Why don't I just like crawl onto your desk and near your desk yeah. and get closer to you? Yeah,
1: it's definitely a thing where like, oh, I see. You haven't kicked me out yet. Let me get even closer to you. Right. Yeah. I don't know how this is going to go.
0: <laughs> it seems weird. What could you say at this time? In 1945, people were just hopping on your desk, sitting on your desk, edging on your desk, apparently.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyone could edge on your desk back then. You couldn't. So much edging. You didn't have a say.
0: Be right back. And we're back with our hero, Phil Norris, edging around Mrs. Wentz's desk. You were saying, Mr. Johnson? Oh, I just thought it was a shame that I had to miss Professor Stanley after coming such a long way. Although her arm covered most of the printed page, I could read something about Veterans United. Something about a meeting at the Oracle Auditorium. I promised to help him out on the meeting, I said. Publicity, you know. And I wanted to get some more dope from him. Assuming uh, dope is information, as opposed to. I wanted to score some weed off of the professor, but you never know. It could,
1: yeah, (laughs) it could be either.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's it, she said. Her voice became warm, almost eager. Well, maybe I could tell you a little about it, Mr. Johnson she offered, not as much as the professor could, of course. I just think it's funny that he didn't even have to say what the meeting was for her to be like, oh, you were talking about the meeting. Oh, of course you were talking about that. I mean, presumably Professor Stanley is somebody who has a lot of meetings. He's got four offices.
1: No, you... she knew what he meant. The meeting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? <a>
0: hook up. It's hooking up. Well, you see, Mr. Johnson, she began. The boys what boys? She tittered. I mean the men, of course. My own husband is one of them, you know. Really? I asked, not being able to imagine what kind of boy would marry her.
1: What does that even mean i don't
0: even know i'm not even sure what that means is it like is she is he digging at her like because i can't tell he doesn't if it's like about her? her
1: age or about
0: yeah but her looks or, or her yeah. age or personality or if it's about like who is is there like a man is there like like oh no boy could marry this this woman she's too
1: Foxy. Foxy. Either way, it's bad.
0: Yeah, it's not good. No,
1: there's no good version of it.
0: Yes, of course. Albert is in the Pacific right now. Has been for two years. No one who hasn't a husband or a son in the service can ever know what those boys are going through. That's what the professor always says, and he's so right, isn't he? He generally is, I said. Yes, she sighed. We've been co-workers in the cause for only seven months, but... I feel as if I've known him all my life. Mrs. Wentz, I said. One can learn a great deal about a man in less than seven months. You've been very fortunate to have worked with him that long. You really think so, Mr. Johnson? She said, glowing. Did the professor tell you how he conceived his great idea? Not exactly. Well, he was walking along the beach one morning. You know, he walks 10 miles over the sand every day. He says that the sound of the sea cleanses the brain. Well, that morning, all his senses were attuned to the sufferings of the world. How wonderful, I said, wondering how long it was going to take for her to get to the point. I couldn't stay there all day, uttering Albert Hubbard platitudes, not with homicide on my tail.
1: Who is Albert Hubbard? (laughs) Yeah,
0: I looked him up, um, I am no Albert Hubbard expert, but here's what I know about him. So Albert Hubbard was a writer, philosopher, artist who described himself as a socialist anarchist around the turn of the century. He started like an arts and crafts society in Utica, New York, which is uh, n- not too far from my hometown of Buffalo. Um He was known for writing these, like, little pithy sayings. He was frequently quoted. Oh, okay, this is the most famous one. Do not take life too seriously. You will never get out of it alive. So, like, his writing would be, like, perfect for greeting cards. Yes. (laughs) Like today. I couldn't stay there all day uttering Elbert Hubbard platitudes, not with homicide on my tail. Yes, she murmured. That was when he conceived it all. It came to him in a flash, help the ex-surface man. But what about the government? I suggested, the government, all it does is give a man unemployment insurance, bread lines all over again, just like after the last war. Who needs unemployment insurance? Um, Although- I mean,
1: we were, this is a post New Deal- Yeah. America, where I guess, we're seeing a portrait of what some activism may have looked like, maybe. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting to see how even in the 40s, they were like, yeah, that uh, that wasn't enough either.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Professor Stanley says every boy should get $10,000. And the way to get it is for the boys to organize. Veterans United. Her face beamed with passion. He had thousands upon thousands of circulars printed outlining his idea and sent them to the mothers and wives and relatives of the boys. But that takes money. Naturally, Mr. Johnson, Professor Stanley has spent his entire fortune on the organization and now he is forced to ask for contributions. Nothing that would be a burden to anyone, of course. Only what one could afford. We who work with him donate our services. I was stumped. That wasn't what I had come for. She misinterpreted my silence for skepticism. The professor is a military man himself, Mr. Johnson. He is? He was a captain in the National Guard. She became confidential. When war broke out, he was ready to lead his regiment. He arranged all his affairs. But do you know what happened? I said I didn't. Some crooked officials in the war department said that he wasn't fit physically to stand the rigors of war. Personally, I think it was his commanding officer. He was afraid that the professor might outshine him. That excuse of like the war department was out to get him. Is so a, is it's very Trumpian.
1: Yeah, the deep state.
0: This is the deep state, is she's, what she's talking she's about. She is talking
1: about the deep state. She is also uh working. For free. Yeah. She just outed the whole operation. And (laughs) that's not something he seems to be picking up on either, which is very funny. He doesn't care. (laughs) I love the idea of a a detective who doesn't know how to be a detective, but also has no baseline caring to even, like, know what information is important.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, he asks literally... He's like, this isn't what I had come for. Right.
1: What did you come for? Yeah,
0: that's (laughs) exactly. You didn't come to. I mean, yeah, I know he came to speak to Professor Stanley, but like he came to learn about this stuff to see if it has any bearings on his wife's murder. So like he, he doesn't have that like detective mindset of. I'm going to try to absorb information and then sort through it to find things that would help me. Instead, he's like, "Is Professor Stanley here? <laughs> no, Can I get information on whether Professor Stanley is a murderer? <laughs> will will she say, Professor Stanley is a murderer. <laughs> like, at some point in this conversation, I'll be like, Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> I did it. Nailed you.
1: Nabbed you.
0: <laughs> oh, that's
1: so funny. I'm starting to get the suspicion that maybe Professor Stanley was just trying to get money out of Edna. Yeah,
0: that, that and, makes and, sense. And Edna was
1: probably, maybe she, because uh, she seems to maybe care about people sometimes. It's yeah. hard to tell. Yeah, maybe she,
0: she felt for him and he just wanted her money and was like, Give me money. And she was like, I don't have money. And then he's laughing. I her. can get it. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I'll get it for you. I'll get it for you. I love you. Yeah, it's a fine interpretation of a bed. I have a blank membership application here, Mr. Johnson, she said, fishing around in the desk drawer. I'm sure you'd want to join us. Delighted, I said, and signed myself as Peter Johnson, 166 Hedgerow Street, Pasadena. You can get me there anytime, I told her. She hesitated and gave a little discreet cough. I got the point. Oh, of course, I said, a donation.
1: He came to scam this office, and this office is scamming him. Yep. And it is
0: so good. Yeah. I love this. It's very loony, too. <laughs>
1: yes. It really does feel like Daffy Duck is getting swindled, and, and it feels okay. <laughs>
0: Oh, of course, I said. A donation. It isn't imperative, Mr. Johnson, she cooed. If a person can't afford it, we let him join anyway, but it would be helpful. I gave her five dollars. I'm sure you'll never regret joining us, she said. I'm sure I won't, Mrs. Wentz. The talk with her had been edifying politically, but actually I hadn't got to first base. I decided to try direct action. First base. Nice. Nice. (laughs) By the way, do you know Mrs. Norris? I asked. Oh, yes, she said. She is one of our most fervent supporters. I thought I detected a note of jealousy in her voice. I just couldn't see Edna being mixed up with social uplift. All her interests had been purely selfish. She just wasn't the type to hand out donuts at USO canteens. Dead Wife Slam! <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, this woman I'm obsessed with. Uh,
0: <laughs> she was bad. I just couldn't see her doing anything nice for anybody because she was 100% bad. And also she's dead.
1: It's just such a, Lights a like. Lights her
0: grave on fire. <laughs>
1: it's such a weird toxic stew of emotions.
0: Yeah, I know. It's so what many. A muck.
1: Like conflicting feelings.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right back. We're back. There was a noise in room 523 behind the closed door. I could hear a key being inserted into the lock, the door creak open, footsteps, and then the soft sigh of air escaping from an inflated cushion as weight was put on it. Mrs. Wentz heard it too, and she looked nervously at the door behind her. I thought I saw a trace of fear in her face. Is that the professor? I asked and strolled towards the door. Mrs. Wentz jumped up to block me off. Oh no, she said. I couldn't very well push past her without making a scene, so I retreated a step. Mrs. Wentz stayed near the door. Mrs. Norris is one of our very best people. She spoke loudly, as if she wanted whoever was in room 523 to hear. She gives our organization a lot of her time. There were the sounds of muffled footsteps in the other room. Then the door opened and a man came into 524. It was Tommy, the blonde boy who had been with Edna at Riley's the other night.
1: Oh, shit. It's the guy who only knows Sanskrit, right? Yeah, Sanskrit
0: boy. Yeah. Sanskrit blonde boy.
1: (laughs) He knows how to light a cigarette and to stand idly by when the woman he's escorting gets slapped.
0: That's right. This time he was wearing a bright service man's honorable discharge emblem on his lapel. Uh, Mr. Johnson was inquiring about Mrs. Norris, Mrs. Wentz told him. He looked at me as if he had never seen me before. How do you do, Mr. Johnson? He said politely. Mr. Johnson is a new member, Mrs. Wentz said. Welcome, Mr. Johnson, the blonde boy smiled the big vein in my temple started to pound. I couldn't understand his reason for not recognizing me. I wanted to holler, I'm Phil Norris, and you damn well know it.
1: Oh my God, what is wrong (laughs) with him? He wants to
0: be recognized. He wants to be recognized in a situation where if he's recognized, his spot is is entirely blown. Um, But he is so vain that he is like... Why don't you recognize me? I mean that there again, there's His the aban- Daffy duck thing of yeah. like, yeah, it's Phil Nora Then, you know.
1: It is Phil Nora season. <laughs> uh yeah. It feels like that 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 shitty inner child that we keep talking about that he's like imprisoned within, like those abandonment issues. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, if anyone doesn't like recognize or remember him, that he recognizes he has to flip out, I guess.
0: We'll send you a letter informing you about our next meeting, said the blonde boy. But I wasn't going to be pushed out that way. I understood, I said, that Mrs. Norris was to be here this morning. Mrs. Wentz looked at Tommy. Yes, she was, she said to me. But she called earlier this morning to say that she couldn't make it. All right. So he comes in and he's like, I want to speak to the professor. And now he's like, I understand that Mrs. Norris was going to be here. Again, like, I don't know why she wouldn't ask him, how do you know Mrs. Norris? Right. Like, why do you know that information? As somebody who's supposed to be here about Veterans United, about a meeting, I mean, I guess in theory, maybe the three of them could have been meeting about Veterans United, but like... It just seems fucked. I don't know. Yeah. It, again, I and this is how really... often do
1: random dudes come in with like n- non-specific agendas, <laughs> asking vague questions about that she specific just, people about specific people, but still vague questions. <laughs> like how many times does that happen for Mrs. Wentz? That like she would just like be like, "Oh yeah, I'll you know I'll do the same thing I always do." <laughs> To just talk about how great Professor Stanley is <laughs> right. until they leave, and that never <laughs> happened this time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so weird. Yeah, this is a weird, weird scene. <laughs> it's so weird. It's weird the things that people are and aren't suspicious of in this book. <laughs> 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 yes, she was, she said to me, but she called earlier this morning to say that she couldn't make it. This morning? Why, Yes but Edna couldn't have called. Not after two o'clock last night she couldn't. But she told me she'd be here, I insisted. No, Mrs. Wentz said with certainty. I took the message myself. Oh, so that's an interesting development.
1: Fascinating, who called? Mm -hmm.
0: Who called, theoretically pretending to be Mrs. Norris. Hmm, 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 hmm. For some reason, I believed her. After all, the news hadn't been broadcast yet, and Mrs. Wentz was just not the type for conspiracy. Her kind couldn't tell a lie without being transparent as a glass-bottom boat. Huh? Well, what do you think her kind is? Based on what we, what little information we know about her, uh,
1: well, it seems like there's a sort of implied characterization of anyone who would follow someone who, quote unquote, gets mixed up in social uplift.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: like, are you gonna hang out around poor people and like feed them? Ew, that's gross. Yeah. Uh, that
0: means you can't lie.
1: <laughs> it means that you're a Pollyanna, right. Who's naive and doesn't understand the real rules of propriety in society you're some kind you're either a rube or you're downright stupid or maybe you have an ulterior motive right. and th- those are like the three ways that people who don't want to care about other people try to characterize people who do.
0: Tommy looked bored. Is there anything else? he asked looking through me. I decided to try again. I'd like to see Professor Stanley. I said. But I told you he wasn't here, Mrs. Wentz said. He's in Washington, said Tommy. Washington? He flew there. When? Yesterday afternoon. He took the afternoon plane. Senator Rolland got him a priority. That was the payoff. I felt like cursing, but all I said was, too bad, I wanted to talk to him. There was nothing else to do, so I started for the door. I nodded and went out. Out on the street, the sun dazzled me. I walked slowly around the block to check whether I was being followed. I wasn't. I needed help, and I needed it bad. I couldn't be at 12 places at once. I decided to try Jerry again. True, we weren't bosom pals, but he might pitch in for old time's sake. Old time's sake referring to, uh, what is it, a day ago? Yeah. When he last talked to him, two days ago? I went into a corner drugstore, changed a quarter and called him. Almost immediately, I heard the click of the receiver being lifted on the other end. Jerry, this is Phil, I said. There was no sound on the other end of the phone. I want you to do me a favor. Still no answer. Jerry! I yelled and then noticed that a cop, sitting at the corner having a sandwich and coffee, was watching me. There was a click in the receiver and the dial tone started. Jerry had hung up. The cop's hat was hanging on a wall hook he had taken off his revolver belt for comfort and had put the gun on the counter next to him. He watched me get out of the telephone booth for no reason at all. Instead of going out, I sat down two stools away from him and ordered coffee. The cop was kidding with the counterman, paying no attention to me, so I threw a dime on the counter and walked into the street. The coffee had made me start to sweat. It was a little after 12. Uh, So, that is chapter five of Murder in the Glass Room by (laughs) Edwin Rolfe and Lester Fuller. Closing thoughts. Wow. On that chap.
1: What, like, a clumsy sort of (laughs) tumble-through clues. Uh, He doesn't know what he's doing and I don't think we left this chapter with him being any more sure which is really funny I (laughs) thought maybe this was going to be like a sine wave you know where like the the hairdresser was a goof but this but Professor Stanley might lead to something right it kind of did but not in a way where it feels clear that Phil actually gleaned it <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> it's so unclear what he knows and doesn't
0: uh, massive bumbling all the way down uh, Amanda speaking of bumbling yes that's what's gonna happen next chapter oh good when he pulls out another Looney Tunesy trick to see if he can get some information as he continues his journey into Edna's day that would have been <laughs> that's next time on Dirt Cheap Dirt Cheap is a Neon Hum podcast. It's hosted by me, Jeffrey Golden.
1: And me, Amanda Meadows.
0: Our producer is Carla Green. Associate producer is Chloe Chobel. The executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Editing by Vikram Patel. Original music by Chris Katinas. Additional tracks you hear on this episode are from Epidemic Sound. Our engineer and sound effects guy is Scott Somerville.
1: We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Dirt Cheap Pod and Instagram at Dirt Cheap Books. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: See you next episode for another exciting chapter of Murder in the Glass Room.